Welcome everyone to episode 48 of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. You're joined by your usual hosts. And I think given the one of the topics of last week's episode, I think it's only fair to announce the winner of the Tesla giveaway. I know DY was messaging me all week to put an entry after entry, but this might sound like it was a bit of a rigged endeavor, but for, I actually ended up winning it out of, out of everyone, out of the hundreds of thousands of entries. So appreciate you guys having faith in me throughout this, uh, this week. I was keeping my fingers crossed. To swing the odds in Jack's favor, he did need to be 95,000 of those votes. So he did extra- He did put in the work for it. Mm. Big ups. Yeah. Very good, Jack. Didn't actually get any work done this past week, but... Uh, <laughs> Just been spamming it. your own inbox with, uh, <laughs> with Tesla requests. So we've actually got a really good amount of questions this week. So thanks everyone who asked one. And I think a good one to start off with is about season A. So... We've got the first show of the season here in Queensland, the Sunshine Coast show this Sunday. And this first question says, how, how are you guys feeling as coaches as we enter season A? So I'll let you kick this off, DC. Yeah, I think it's going to be a jam-packed season. I'm, I'm very excited. Actually, I, um, I just went into the cupboard and, and took out my little, uh, little pack that has all my goodies in it, like, you know, like assault tablets and Dream Tan and everything like that. And I just forgot how badly dream tan gets on stuff because it opened up and it just spilled on my floor and i was like oh shit <laughs> so i'm kind of looking looking forward to uh to smelling the dream tan and being backstage with the competitors and uh yeah b, b and i have a, have a very strong team coming into this season um i think b has about five athletes or, or maybe a little bit more than that i've got about five athletes as well so we're bringing about you know a group of 10 to uh to nationals potentially so um, but the Sunshine Coast Classic, I have uh, Gordon competing in, in men's physique and classic. I've got Pierre competing in men's fitness. I've got Tyler. Uh, she's competing in women's bikini. And then I've got also AJ and Josie competing down at the, the New South Wales show. Uh, so, uh, and I believe Josie's competing in the, um, the NBA uh, show as well. Uh, that's the same weekend. So it's going to be a very jam-packed, jam-packed weekend. And I'm pretty sure... Every weekend after that, we have sort of back-to-back shows for the next five weeks or so. So it's going to be a hectic, hectic season. But I'm very excited because we're really waiting for this season to roll around. In these last few weeks, I think it's like gone slowly. So I'm like, come on, let's get it. Yeah, time really does slow down. Mm. I'm always excited to see like the next round of athletes. I feel like they just somewhat get better every every season just by like that little 0.5%. Apart from your season, Lawrence, that you under best season so far oh it's unbelievable dude yeah um but yeah like the level of competitors always gets better and better so i'm excited i've only got one doing the icn rounds this time so i'm actually kind of happy it's going to be like a really chill day and i know uh maddie who would be listening uh is going to do extremely well her last prep with uh myself actually got cancelled due to covid so a bit like dc so it's been a long time coming and i'm sure she's excited to just get get up on that stage and show the uh, hard work that she's been doing and then the other one's about 14 weeks away at wbff so i'll be eagerly awaiting my first wbff show is that here or are you going to be watching i'm going to be going to sydney for it so i'm excited for that Mm. i've also got uh tj as well sorry (laughs) i didn't mention tj body bodybuilder and classic physique athlete down in melbourne so it's uh it's going to be a crazy weekend we've got shows across multiple states this weekend Mm -hmm. What about you, Jack? Do you have any competitors or does T have any? Yeah, Tia's or Tiara. I've never called Tiara T. So she has a few. I think she has two people at the Sunny Coast show and and one person in Victoria. And I've got Ali in Victoria as well. So that'll be that'll be great. And then yeah, we've got people in the the other Queensland shows as well, which will be good. Very and nice. I think Tiara actually has someone for the WBFF show in Sydney as well, if I'm not mistaken. Very nice. Bikini? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Men's, men's yeah. fashion walk. <laughs> you hey, you're, transitioning into, you're not transitioning into WBFF, Lawrence. They won't have me, mate. They just said, <laughs> my, my, I'm not good looking enough. They're like, eh, they, if they it's won't allow okay. you to wear the cap on stage. Yeah, they won't let me wear the cap, and I'm bald underneath it, so I don't know how that's gonna <laughs> how that's gonna go. That's crazy. So sunny coast this weekend, mate. Yeah, it goes so quick, mm. man. You literally, it like literally flies past. It's so mm. quick. Are you all, are all you boys going? 
Mm, I'll be there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll sure. be there. Uh, I'll they be need your retainer as a as a physio if someone sprains their ankle and heals. I think yeah, sprained ankle or perhaps like a an inguinal hernia from from flexing is probably the two more common show day injuries. Mm. Yeah, maybe a lower back spasm from too much extension. We yeah, is better, of course. Maybe like a um, a necrotic foot from keeping your feet elevated and all of the blood <laughs> failing to get there. I have seen some pretty pretty bad cramping backstage, actually. Um, yeah, like abdominal cramping is never never nice. Ooh, to see. Yeah, that's um that's never nice. Yeah, well, on the topic of abdominals, this next one says, "Do waist trainers do anything useful?" Lawrence, I'll throw this over to you. This guy's a pro. What a segue. Just unbelievable. You can't teach that stuff. Like mm. you, you cannot teach that stuff. I said it um, without even knowing. How good. Oh, so good. So good. Um, oh, look, I think I feel like the waist trainer thing has died down a little bit. I don't think I'm seeing them as much. I certainly think it's it's interesting where you've got like IFBB pros who have been running like a gram of GH for 17 years, all of a sudden start to wear a waist trainer because they realize they're midsection control is abominable um not abdominal oh boys come on come on um yeah no i don't think that they're really going to do much to be honest i think that like i understand where some people come from where they wear it almost for like that awareness because like i've heard them like you know they'll put the waist trainer on and then that just reminds them to like like subconsciously like pull in their stomach and just work on a bit of that abdominal control uh, look, and then I guess you have the argument of, well, then when you stop wearing it, you're probably just going to go back to kind of letting your abdominal region relax. So I think long-term, it's probably not something that's going to be worthwhile. Maybe leading into a show, if you want to just be a bit more aware throughout the day of like holding your waist in potentially. But I think that if you're trying to use it to truly shrink your waist, I think that's not going to be viable. Like you're either someone who just unfortunately doesn't have the structure to have a very small waist because you know no waist trainer is going to make your hips smaller you know that's just where your bones are unfortunately um, or you potentially just need to get a little bit leaner maybe one of the more common things i see with people who have slightly larger waists is they just have very developed obliques and particularly in men who have slightly larger waists and when you think about it like wearing a waist trainer isn't going to do anything if you have larger obliques so you might just maybe if you're directly training obliques, then which I see a lot of people do. Not sure, guy. Not sure what your your guy's stance is on training obliques directly, but I tend to, if I see one of my competitor clients doing it, I'll usually tell them that it's probably best to train the rectus abdominis as opposed to the obliques. I mean, I guess it's dependent on the individual, right? I mean, if you think that that uh, perhaps building slightly thicker obliques is stronger for their side profile shot or something like that, you know, a side symmetry, or uh, I still think it's relevant to train the obliques. It's really just dependent on the individual, right? Mm. I mean, you can build the obliques without intensely thickening the waist, I think, like particularly if it's an area of, of just lack, you know, lack of, like some people have very shallow rectus abdominis. So perhaps, you know, some abdominal work would be greatly beneficial for them. Uh, and same in in the token of um, oblique work as well. But I think, what, don't you think with waist train? I mean, the premise would be you, you would also have to somewhat change the shape of your rib cage as well. Like that's because that all feeds into you know your 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 abdominal structure as well. You know that whole thoracic into the waist. I mean, this waist trainer usually they sit pretty high, right? They're kind of like right up to the top of the, the rectus abdominis, like. The premise would be you'd have to tighten that thing up so so much for a long period of time that you're also trying to shift the, the the structure of the rib cage as well i think it's a bit far-fetched to be honest i think it's a bizarre trend that has just seemed to taken off because of that desperation to have a really small waist but perhaps you know <laughs> mm. thinking about the wrong variables to adapt to to adjust that to get that yeah yeah if you cool. really want to change your rib cage i know a couple of good orthopedic surgeons because that's probably the only way you could do it just take a couple of those bad boys out i'm sure it would mm, be. just carry anyway my ribs are trash. I'm like really upset because I've been practicing my vacuum, but my ribs aren't the same. Like it's the, I don't know if you boys saw, I put it up on my story, but like they look wildly different. So mine are as well. I have, I have uh, one side of my rib cage kind of projects a little bit more than the other. Yeah. Um, I'm upset. 
<laughs> but it's not something I really noticed unless you would have pointed it out. Like you're always going to see it more obviously yeah. than a judge. Yeah, exactly. Pick yes. apart them imperfections. At 28 weeks out, we might as well call it now. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> but you're not going to do a vacuum in the front double, are you? No, I probably will. Okay. Yeah. Maybe mess is that surgeon and you might be able to like sand down one of the ribs on the Shave other side and just bit, yeah. make it perfectly symmetrical. Yeah, because I and still think it looks better than when I don't do it. It'll be, well, it also depends how it looks when I'm lean, but I was thinking I'll play around with it. Like maybe don't do like a full vacuum, but like a bit of a semi. Yeah. See how it goes. Yeah, cool. Well, I mean, maybe uh, in 10 weeks, you can do some poses for us on the podcast. We can give you some feedback. Absolutely. I'll yeah. do it now. <laughs> full off season. Yeah, you don't want to see my 20 week out physique yet. Fair enough. How much has the scale moved in the first week is what I've got to know. Are we like three kegs down yet or what? No, not really. Cause I wasn't, we weren't really pushing food that hard. Like we were probably a good, like 100, 150 carb from like the most I've ever been at. So I think I dropped about a kilo in the first week, but definitely noticeably tighter, which was good. So yeah, there wasn't that huge whoosh as we would normally have. Cause I guess the, the reduction wasn't as severe. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a long way behind. <laughs> We've dropped to 170 carb this week. Got to get a wriggle on. Well, on the topic of carbs, this one's for you, T.Y. Is that 170 grams intra-workout that you've dropped to? Or Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just, I eat a cake during the workout. Yeah, okay. So the D.Y., thoughts of eating packets of lollies to get leftover carbs in because you can't consume more fiber. Well, that's exactly what I've done recently in the last building phase. But last week, it's been a bit of chalky bunny. Um, no, well, it's like you, not necessarily, necessarily like the issue with getting maybe um, more carbs in from the lollies, but you got to make sure that the nutrition prior to that is also good. Like you got to make sure that you're getting some fruit, veg in, like, you know, and you're ticking the boxes in terms of like protein and your fiber before you go searching for very very calorie dense like carbohydrates in my opinion like i wouldn't go first thing in the morning and like before you've even factored in anything else in terms of getting your fiber and your fruit and veg and then just be like all right well my default to getting my carbs in throughout the day is just packs of lollies then you're probably looking at it wrong but yeah. i'll make sure they that, say packets not just packet yeah exactly packets of lollies but like make sure all the other boxes are ticked before you try and factor in like these easy carbohydrate alternatives like intra-workout um you know you could even try some other stuff like gatorade it doesn't need to be packs of lollies like while you're training like what jack does where he has like his intra-workout carbs mixed with his pre-workout i believe as mm. well just to help get some in but there does get to a point where obviously if you just keep eating having so much fruit and veg it does get quite challenging so then you know going for the easier carbohydrate alternatives can definitely be a good choice have you, any of you boys done the lollies intra training nah, I not a big fan I just don't know if I could be bothered. Like, I know some people really like it, but I just don't know if I could be asked. I've seen people also doing, like, bananas, like, intra workout as well. I haven't, I haven't done anything along the lines of that. It's always been liquid. Mm. See, what I would normally do is I'd get some sort of, like, portable gas stove and then have some water, put the rice in the, your gym bag, obviously, and then just make some rice because that's a far cleaner carb to have. And it's not much of an issue. You could pop it on probably... For the first workout, and then by the time you finish deadlifting, your rice is ready to go. Mm, just add oh. a bit of, you know, just just blend a bit of chicken breast into that as well, and you know, you've yeah. got Absolutely. a nice, convenient intra-workout shake. You're getting in yeah, your plus, you're getting in some how, carbs. There, how do you, you strain know? it? Just into the bubbler. Well, maybe you get the rice cooker, and if you cook it perfectly, which I've right. ne still never managed to do this, <laughs> <laughs> but you you have no water um, to finish off with. <laughs> Just but, gotta be yeah. careful you don't burn your mouth. You can, you can maybe take that next step and get like an IV drip. That's how I normally approach mm. my leg days. Like I just put yeah. it in the arm and like I, I don't use my arms. So yeah. well, I just take it that next level, you know? Yeah. Well, Jack, it's a good point. Like on the signs of the bubblers, it normally says don't pour protein powder. I don't think it says anything about rice water. No. So <laughs> I think it should, basmati. it should be fine <laughs> as long as it's basmati. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Very true indeed. I think my take on that question would just be with tracking nutrition, it almost always comes back to like adequate preparation and planning in terms of have you got your day set out? Because if you are logging your food on the fly, 
and you're doing that regularly, that is a bit of a kind of setting yourself up. I don't want to say for failure, but it's just not as proficient as having your day planned out adequately. So having to have some lollies once in a while, not a big deal at all. If you're having to do that every night, then yeah, there's a, a, some cause for concern um, for that. Also depends on how big these packets are. Cause like with me, I have the family bag of Allen's snakes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I'm having a couple of bags of them, like we're talking 700 carbs. Free bed. Yeah. And it two also packs, depends. Cause I messed up, didn't eat enough carbohydrates, two packs free bed. Yeah. And then just to keep the satiety, once you're in prep, you just transition to sugar free. Mm. That'll make that scale weight drop very good. Wear a nappy at night, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Not you boys, anyway. I'm Only not going to ruin my sleep by having to get up at P at 3 a.m. Come That's on. That's a now. prep hack right there. <laughs> that is a prep hack. Yeah. <laughs> cool. DC, this one's for you. If you had to step on stage with one of the boys, which would you pick? Oh. And what category would it be as well? I reckon let's let's go classy physique, Jack. Sure. Let's do it, man. Yeah. I'll meet you on the dance floor. Looking forward to it. I think I'd have to go Lawrence. Well, what's that? Guess it won't be in 2024, though. No, hopefully you'll compete the next year. Mm. Oh, he'll push it back. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I can see another year. Like going off the track record, I can easily see another year tacked onto that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what I if I turn I'm... a classic physique pro in 2024, though? Then you'll have to get it in 25. Oh, pressure's on then, isn't it? <laughs> Pressure's you know, on. Interesting about ICN is they, the IFBB, if you turn pro in, like, say, men's physique, you're also pro for classic. Yeah, but, pro across the board. Mm. What is it? Say, say that again. Sorry. If you turn pro in, in a division in IFBB, you're, you're pro across all categories, essentially. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. That is right. Isn't that bizarre? I think that's quite Yeah, it is. It's very bizarre. Doesn't make sense to oh. me. Rami is going to smash it in the men's physique this year, though. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to kill it. I'd just love to see it, like, just sitting there in a pair of boardies, absolutely just ripped. Yeah. What about you, Lawrence? I'd like, well, I'd like to eventually, you know, it'd be great to try and get on stage with all the boys. I don't know if I could narrow it down. Well, Jack, you know, I thought we were getting on stage this year, but mm. that didn't happen. I've got to well, do did ask work. you to come do 24 with me. but you Obviously, said. there's no mutual respect there, though, Lawrence. Like, you know, no. like, yeah, bailing on the plans. Like, yeah, I'd never no. sit you up for a leg day. No, you wouldn't. Um, and you wouldn't vomit on a leg day either. Well, you got to train him to do it. I didn't quite vomit. Yeah. I'll well, I've still got you know a few boxes to tick before I uh, get to join Mr. DC on on one of his stages. But I think, I think you know, even if it's in the distant future, I, it would be cool to at least all do the same season. I reckon that'd be fun. Like, I mean, the podcasts would just be terrible by the end like no discussion at the all. final few weeks it's just like minute silences <laughs> the topic in, in, introducing yeah. the topic yeah but i think it would be cool for us all to be in a prep i think that that's pretty cool i don't dy have we like prepped uh, at the same time at least i've been like once one season behind you i think in everyone mm. yes, yes i think me and you lawrence as well you've been one season ahead of me and then behind me yeah yes Yes. And then, well, yeah, DC's only done one show, so. <laughs> no, he's done two shows. Uh, two shows, one season. Yeah, yeah. It's all right, just, man. Just, just dig the, the knife deeper. It's all good. He's uh, nearly got those rookie championships. Would you, no, well, if you hadn't won your pro card, you'd probably still be classified as novice, hey? <laughs> Which is just ridiculous to think about. Well, even DC rocking up in the first timers, everyone would have been like, what is happening here? Hmm. I've actually got a rec recording of someone in the stage, like in the, sorry, in the crowd and they're recording my division and like in the background, they're like, who the fuck is that? Like number, <laughs> da, 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 da. like how is he a first timer? <laughs> yeah. You uh, it. it was like, like Shane when he competed and he like was in the first timers and then just like won everything for the whole year. It's hmm. just, yeah. Suppose that that's what happens when you spend some good time training before you compete. Mm, fair. And you, DY? I'd have to go Lawrence. I've just known him the longest. Yeah, mm. I already shared the stage with DC. It was close, but I let him have the bodybuilding title. Um, Thanks, man. And I took the Keeney. And yeah, I don't know. I've just known Lawrence the longest. He's a part of the team. So I'd, I'd have to give him a run for his money in bodybuilding. I can just imagine us hitting that, like, you know, crab, like head yeah. to head. 
but then we just shock the crowd and kiss afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd mean yeah. too much. The yeah, emotions. It'd be so good. So Lawrence, this one's for you, considering you've uh, worked at power subs and it says most useful subs in a gaining phase. Ooh, I would say like intra-workout carbs, if you are really like strong. Well, I think intra-workout carbs are a good idea anyway. And I've planned to keep them in for all of my prep. But if you are really struggling to get the food in, you know, it is a really easy way to, to get some calories in for the day. I'd say like, you know, some people are probably going to need to get to the stage where they might consider like a mass gainer and whether or not a mass gainer is any better or worse than just making a big smoothie for yourself. You know, it's probably much of a muchness. You could probably get a bit more nutrient quality out of the smoothies, I'd imagine. Um, So some people might resort to that, but if they can't be bothered, you know, doing the big Jack smoothie where he's getting 17,000 calories in a shake, then you might just go for like a mass gainer, but there's some really gross mass gainers out there. Um, obviously creatine. Yeah. Your mask. Yeah. I remember seeing you chug it down. It was some sort of gainer at, um, one of the ICN shows once. Yeah. That wasn't pleasant. It was mainly cause I didn't have like half of the bottle was powder. So I didn't have enough room to add the water mm. and then shake it. So it turned into a sludge. Unfortunately. Yeah, not ideal. Um, and then I suppose all the normal ones like, creatine whey protein powder if you want it um i suppose there's probably not a massive difference supplement wise between whether you're in a diet or whether you're in a you didn't mention trend though well you asked about power subs and you know we don't stop that over the counter anyway (laughs) yeah over the counter yeah uh you got to walk around the back it's a joke it's a joke blair's gonna have someone knocking down his door this afternoon (laughs) lawrence what have you done Anything else to add there? I, I think, yeah, when it comes to natural supplements, like that's pretty much as far as it gets for the most part, unless you're trying to satisfy any nutrient deficiencies, like maybe through vitamin D or zinc, magnesium. Um, Greens, powders. Mm, maybe. <laughs> Do you rate any of them? Uh, not really. I'd rather just supplement with what needs to be supplemented with. That's why I'm also not a big fan of multivitamins either. But it, I, I don't really have anything. The Sorry? greens go through the V8 juice for me. That's rev it up, baby. V8 under the hood, V8 in the glass. That is just how D-Way rolls. Let's go. The brekkie juice, all the <laughs> veggies and fruit you need. <laughs> According to the label, three of each, you know, you can't go wrong with it. Dude, that's scientist approved. Exactly. On the topic of vegetables, D-Y, what's your biggest fear? We've already covered vegetables. <laughs> I, I reckon my biggest fear recently and I always worry about it is when my hip gets better and then I'm in there at powerhouse and I'm on the pendulum and Lawrence walks in and he goes it's time for a payback and then he pushes me to that absolute negative five RIR and I've just regretted every ounce of pushing people to failure because now my hip's better and I have to train legs and that I would say- be quite scary because all my leg days are quite reserved at the moment um, I'd say, say goodbye to your spinal cord, D.Y. Yeah. You're yeah, going all like, the way in. Yeah. No, but yeah. I don't know. What would be my biggest fear? Mm, I don't know. I feel like I have quite high expectations of myself, especially like in terms of like competing and just like my business and stuff like that. Like, you know, you're like, what happens if something happens down the line? I can't live up to that. Like that would probably be one of them. But I think that's also on myself as well like you know the more you put in the more you get out with that kind of stuff so um realistically i don't have to worry about that but obviously i have an amazing group of people clients and everything like that so losing that would probably be one of the bigger fears but like i said i don't have to worry about it too much (laughs) hopefully (laughs) don't sue me (laughs) not if that accountant keeps uh spinning those books lad you'll be fine yeah yeah, you never actually said on the, this is a random tangent, but you've never announced on the podcast that your Instagram was fixed. Yeah, it has been fixed. Somehow Jack tagged me in a comment. I think it was the RDL post since Lawrence didn't give me any credit for fixing up his shit form RDLs. And then next thing you know, <laughs> I saw Jack tagged me and I was like, wait, how did he just respond to my comment? So then I pretty much had to test it on my other account and the posts aren't going down. So it's been a long one and a half years, but that's probably another fear. Me getting put on the blacklist again, like the matrix coming at me from all angles, like, you know, and me and Tate having to fight them off. Mm. 
Dude, they're trying. They're, they're just trying to silence you. Yeah, they are, Good man. Government. To silence- I'm just trying to make it in this world, man. Like you know, I can't take another cancel. Well, DC, this one's for you, and I can't. I guess I, I know about your back, but this question says worst injury slash setback you've had or everyone has had. So, what would be yours? Um. Oh, I guess the worst the worst injury I've ever had was a left uh, hip labral tear that I that incurred when I was back squatting one time. So just sat down, sat down into the bottom of the squat, heard a really large like pop in my hip, had some pretty immediate uh, sharp pain and re-racked the weight and was like, okay, I probably shouldn't continue to train. It's a bit uncomfortable. Woke up the next day, I could hardly even flex my leg from the hip. And um, yeah, I went and got scans and found that I'd torn the labral in my hip. I developed like a cam lesion, which is basically a bony, bony spur on the, the neck of my, my femur. And depending on the angle that I squatted at uh, and the degree of like, I guess, anterior pelvic tilt that I was eliciting when I was squatting, it was kind of jamming in the front of my hip. And I wasn't really noticing it wasn't really painful at all, but obviously I did it so often that it resulted in a labral tear. So um probably like a solid, solid year. I I couldn't really do much squatting patterns. I, my leg training consisted mostly of leg extensions. I could hardly even extend and and lift my hip up for a good, for a good portion of time, lift my leg up. Sorry. And um, yeah, so that, that was probably like the the biggest setback and then just having to reevaluate. I get that at at that point in time, uh, the lifts that I wanted to prioritize. Cause I think at that point in time, I was very centered on, on, on increasing my, my back squat, my barbell back squat. And had to sort of emit that for a good portion of time and slowly introduce squatting patterns back in again. So uh, yeah, that was probably my, my biggest setback. Did you have to get the bony spur removed? No, no, I didn't. Um, the, cause I went to the surgeon, I went to the specialist and he sort of said, look, we, we could potentially uh, work on it, but we, you know, it was, it was sort of a few months down the track at that point because it took me a while to get the appointment and everything like that. And I probably was a bit slow to pursue uh, follow up with it as well. And I got the scans and everything. He said, yeah, look, the spur is there, but uh, it's not incredibly prominent. Like I think if you were just to slightly change your squat positioning, how much you abduct through the leg when you squat and how the degree of pelvic tilt that you elicit as well, you could probably reduce the jamming effect through the front of the hip and yeah, it's actually exactly what happened. So I don't have any issues with my hip anymore just based on me altering my squat pattern. Mm, that's good. Did you back squat after that again? I did, yeah. Yeah, I went back to, to back squatting. But I think at that point, I just kind of lost the love for, for back squatting. And it probably coincides with the time where I started to introduce some other squat patterns like V-squats and, and hack squats and things like that. Mm. What about you, Lawrence? Was it the hamstring or is there another injury? Probably the hamstring, yeah, which wasn't crazy. I, I thought it was going to be like life ending because I was like three weeks out and I was like, this is the worst thing ever. I've torn it off the bone. Obviously, I didn't think that at the time, but I remember like trying to get on the phone with Scott and then he was like talking me off the ledge. And I was like, oh, it's probably fine, mate. Let's just get you in in a couple of days and we'll assess it. So it was okay in the end. I think I had a few weeks where I couldn't train legs maximally, but I think even within a week, I could pretty much do a squat pattern and a, a leg extension pattern to full intensity. So that, I think that was a bit of a, a prep overreaction. But yeah, I had like a a decently annoying bout of low back pain when I was probably 16 or so, um, where like, it, like for a while, it was like really uncomfortable, like running, playing sport, sitting down, things like that. So um, fortunately I was able to see like a really good, um, practitioner to help me out with that. And, and he sort of set me on the right course. Um, but my low back's been really good ever since then. And uh, yeah, like you get still get the odd thing here and there, but the one touch wood, only one where I've had to sort of really change things up was probably the hamstring in 2020. And your SIJ DY. Yeah. That's probably like the biggest thing for me. I don't think I've really like. I did have like a little bit of like knee pain on like my outer quad, like where it would connect the knee, but like, I just, I just bought some SBD knee wraps and just kept sending it. Um, so that never caused any issues after that. Um, but 
Nah, it's been the SIJ, which is still like there a little bit. Like my leg training has definitely improved a lot and I'm able to do a lot more, but I think it's going to take a little bit longer until it's like operating at a hundred percent. And even then it's probably going to be like what DC had to do where he had to like manipulate and like change a bunch of the exercises that he would probably normally do um, just to work around it, you know, just to make sure like it doesn't get aggravated. Cause it's like one of those things where like, it might be fine for like a whole two weeks, but then I might go take the dogs for a walk and like, step down on something and then next thing you know the little jolt in the si joint and it's like it's flared up and then it's going to carry over for like two to three days so mm. until i can sit there for a whole month without it causing any issues uh like you know i think that's when i'll be on the true mend but yeah it's definitely been feeling a lot better what do you think what it if- was like a just inflammation of that area which kept getting aggravated or me personally, I think it was probably like biasing so much certain movements, um, like throughout the start of my career. Like I did, I used to do so much like quad work and nearly no hamstring and glute. And then like, then after that, like my deadlifts, I would have deadlifts in the program, but even then I was like kind of using a large majority of quad throughout that as well. Like my programs weren't really balanced probably prior to going into starting with Joe, so then just over time of not really addressing that, not only that, I like sit at an office desk the entire time, did minimal stretching and it pretty much just probably caught up with me. I did notice it probably coming about like doing like heavier, like split squat variations. And I don't know if that may have like played a part. Maybe there might be one leg that might be stronger than the other. I know my left leg does have like a little bit more mass and strength than my right. So I don't know if maybe like pushing hard on like a single legged movement might've had some impact on my hip alongside it was a quad based lunge as well. So I'm not a hundred percent sure what it could have been, but I think it's also one of those things that Lawrence might be able to attest. It's just more or less unlucky or somewhat like genetically based as well. So um, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but if I was to guess, it'd probably be something along the lines of that. Like my work tied in with previous training history. Yeah, it's certainly a, it's kind of an amalgamation of a lot of different areas in one, like the hips, the lower back, yeah. yeah. It's like Alana's back. It's like, is it genetic? Did something happen training? Was it gymnastics for 10 years? It's like, there's so many little things that probably could have caused it. And it's like, you know, you're just trying to point at one where it's like, you know, it could have been probably multiple yeah. little things just over time. And yeah. yours was your back, right, Jack? Yeah, definitely. That was a solid, uh, over a year for sure until I was back to hundred percent, but a solid six to eight months of, of like no, no hip hinging, no squatting. And definitely for a solid, probably half of that, it was psychosomatic. So it was pr- pretty much just a manifestation in my head. And it's for, the, for those people who've never had like psychosomatic pain, it, it literally feels like the exact same thing. So you really can't tell the difference of whether, okay, is this physical pain or is this literally just like a something conjured by my brain? So something that I'm quite, I wouldn't say I'm passionate about psychosomatic pain, but it's something that I um, I frequently like raise with my clients if they're injured, just about ensuring that uh, we don't catastrophize things because I definitely have catastrophized previous injuries and that just delays the recovery process. Mm. It's very interesting, like even putting it in that sense where it's like, it's an, like, because all like technically all pain is an output of the brain. Mm. Like the the tissue that's been injured doesn't, have any say in deciding whether or not there is a pain response like you've got nociception which is like the the receptors all over your body that are designed to detect like tissue damage so whether it be from like temperature mechanical stimuli chemical stimuli but then there's messaging that needs to take place to then let the brain know about that and then the brain will decide okay is this painful and i think the where the sort of psychosocial elements come in is like your past experiences, your level of stress and anxiety, um, you know, like how much a task is important to you is all going to play a factor. So like, for example, they've done studies where, you know, they've, they've tested like, you know, like pain tolerance or like pain worry. And they found like a violin player will be, you know, more anxious about a pain to their playing hand or their plucking hand than they would the hand that sort of like moves the stick or whatever. So yeah, it's a really interesting world, the whole pain science. And I don't think we'll ever quite understand it fully because it's so complex. But yeah, I think it's a good good thing that you're doing, Jack, because a lot of people, you know, they get into that cycle where they're just perpetuating the worry and the anxiety. And then that will then feed into the pain loop and make the pain experience worse. Yeah. 
for sure. Mm. How Especially, are you going with reading the uh, Explain Paint? Because I know I saw you you bought that recently. Yeah, yeah, I got given that recently. It's so good, man. Yeah, it's it's Such really, really interesting. Game. And it's I suppose it's a good one to like I can sort of foresee there'd be some good pages to show to patients and that sort of thing because you know sometimes it can be a really difficult discussion with people like sort of trying to explain okay because you know you need to navigate that in a way of saying like you're not just trying to say oh this pain is in your head you shouldn't be worried about it but you need to explain to them that there are factors outside of just what's happening to the tissues that can influence their pain experience and i think that's why you know framing it as like the pain experience is a is a helpful way of doing it because it makes it feel, you know, it's more broad and there's a lot of things that can affect it rather than just like, oh, you know, my back is sore. There must be something wrong. Like, oh, well, no, it could be a lot of different factors. But yeah, I'm about, I'm probably about a third of the way through and yeah, it's awesome, man. Really, really good read. Mm, absolutely. And I think that's probably an important note for for even the listeners. Like it, it would be such a great resource. Like if you're into training and you've yeah, you've had an injury in the past or you just want to, to upskill I think Explain Pain by um, David Butler and Lauren Mosley is probably one of the best resources mm. you can purchase. Um, yeah, and it's not super, yeah, and it's not super jargon heavy. Like they do a good job of like, you know, work, obviously there's certain things where like, you know, the only words to describe it are like scientific ones, but for the most part, it's pretty easy to consume, um, which makes it helpful because then you can, you know, refer on to other people or you might, I don't know, photocopy a page for a client or a patient or something like that. Mm, I think it's both like clinician and client yeah. basically in their communication. I think they've done to be up to be fair, I think it's probably one of the best pain resources you could you could purchase. Yeah, so for sure. Know. Cool. Well, this uh this next one says we'll move on to a more lighthearted one from pain. And it says, which couple on the podcast has the best genetics? So I can't remember who we're up to. I'm, I think it might be DC though. So I'll let you start. Obviously a very controversial topic. Couple? Like is it in like... Like me and DY or... Yeah. No. Okay, as in yeah. Our... We're the best looking, Lawrence. Like if that's what we're talking about. Now physique wise. Well, you did rate yourself a 10 out of 10 on the genetic scale. Me, I'm a one out of 10. So <laughs> it evens out. Mm. Are we referring to our female counterparts? I believe so. That was the intended mm. yeah, specifics of the question. Such an, it's such a bizarre question, don't you think? Yeah. It, what, it is, but it wasn't asked by me. It was asked by a listener. I'm pretty sure you put the question in, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trying to toot your own horn. I think, I think probably the best genetics on the podcast out of one of us. I feel like Jack's got some quite solid insertions. Like, I don't know, though. I feel like all you boys have quite... I, uh, but I don't know. I think something about Jack's physique when like really peeled and like has that classic look. Sorry, Jack, I know you want to be a bodybuilder, but um, <laughs> like I feel like it's got like a very pleasing look to it. Um, I, I don't know. But now I it's almost, a couple. I, I feel I like know. it's context is king right now, right? Because for example, I could never never be fantastic at uh, men's fitness or probably men's physique, I don't think, right? So that like my genetics are not well built for those specific categories therefore like dy you have a great place in that particular you know realm um i think nicole my partner has beautiful uh, uh genetics for women's bikini i think she suits women's bikini ifbb very well so like would she suit women's figure definitely not like mm. so it's <laughs> like i think genetics who has the best genetics i mean it's so specific to what category we're determining right if it's just i mean if it's just specific to building muscle like is that is that what determines like is that the context of this question yeah is or is it muscle building capacity or is it i got ripped off on that one then <laughs> i got ripped off on the who puts on the most muscle <laughs> yeah i mean we we were never going to answer give give the question ask a specific specific answer unfortunately so maybe you weren't yeah <laughs> Well, well, I was going to say Lawrence it. and Gemma because Lawrence did say a 10 out of 10. So even if yeah, Gemma is a one out of 10, which she's not, then they've automatically won this battle yeah. right here. But if Gemma has one muscle group that is extremely anabolic, it's the upper traps. Her upper traps are legit. <laughs> like, mate, she could be juicing for all I know. Though it's You're going to very... be sleeping outside tonight, man. <laughs> mate, she's like up. expecting you to say one word. And I think you know what that word is. And you just said, 
upper trap development. Like, you know, <laughs> it like, is, it is you think any girl wants to hear that? Like, your muscle group that's so overdeveloped, oof, it's that traps. Dude, it is though. Traps, I'm just being honest. Yeah. Shima maybe to a, maybe to a bodybuilder, like you know, that might be very pleasing to hear to a bodybuilding female. You, you walk straight out of the room, and, and the the bed will just be set up on the couch. You're like, what yeah. the hell? <laughs> Hasn't even aired yet. The shit. I think she's given up on listening to BDU, so I should probably be fine. <laughs> You'll probably we'll be fine. We'll We'll send it to her. Yeah, yeah, it'll clip it. Cool. Well, what's the next one? This one says thoughts on size versus conditioning. And then there's a further comment that says, show to show, I see the judge's preference changing quite a lot. So Lawrence, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think there was a phase where natural bodybuilding was becoming a bit of a conditioning contest. And, you know, having strider glutes seemed like it was the most important thing. And you could be small, but you were shredded, so it didn't matter. I think you still have to remember that, like, muscularity is a part of the judging criteria. And I suppose when it is a subjective sport, there is a balance between size and conditioning because you need to think about, okay, well, you could have one guy that pulls in from the heavyweights that could be the biggest dude on stage, but he may not have enough, as much conditioning as someone else, but, you know, he does outsize them. So I suppose it's up to the judges to decide, does this person have enough size to make up for the fact that maybe not as conditioned? And there's never going to be a straight answer with that because no two physiques are going to be the same. So I think that you need to sort of keep that in mind, whether you're a competitor, whether you're a spectator or a coach is like, you know, the judges are going to be making the best call and deciding what is the best physique overall. And there might even bring other things into that, you know, like overall shape and symmetry and things like that. So it's not always just size and conditioning that will make the biggest difference. But I think that I reckon we're at a pretty nice, like happy medium. Like in my opinion, like I've seen some shows from probably like four to five years ago where people were, I can even think of one in particular, Jack, obviously I'm not going to name any names, but you were beaten by a gentleman where, Mm. you know, he essentially had no fat on him and like, fair enough, dude, like you got shredded, but like, like all of your muscle groups literally were like double the size when it comes to like roundness and muscularity. So like, you, I, th- I think there's like a better balance to be struck. And I think if I had to like cast my mind back to recent ICN winners, I think the overall winners and the class winners have had a really nice balance of size and muscularity, which is obviously what everyone is striving for in bodybuilding. I think as well, like the different federations, like if you're talking from show to show with ICN, but like I've seen like some A and B NBA shows that have a completely different look to what they want, especially with women's fitness compared to what ICN might want. And then that goes the same for like the WMBF, um, like the WMBF, like has a completely different look to kind of what they want than the ICN. Like they don't care if you've got like rib cage glutes, they really care about like that balance, like the proportions and so on like that. Um, especially with like the last couple of um, years, well actually last, last year, last two years ago was absolutely pure. He had everything, but like in some of the years prior to that, like, you know, they've really had that proportion, the genetics, the symmetry, they've kind of had like everything where some other divs might just favor conditioning over the size. So that goes the same with like, um, like some of the other, um, like fitness shows, like the IFBB compared to WBFF, completely different looks for the exact same name of the division. So I guess you just need to see which one you want to go to if that's the, if you're planning to stay in those shows. Mm. What do you think DC? I, I think it, I think it swings different, different directions. Yeah. Depending on so many variables, right. So what, what, um, what, what categories, uh, what, what federations and especially the competitors that rock up as well. So, you know, based on it being such a, uh, subjective sport and the fact that the quality of competitors changes so much from season to season, like some, some, you know, some seasons you'll get a bodybuilder come up on stage who wins the overall and, you know, they're absolutely peeled and they've got massive size as well. And then you've sort of sometimes got someone who has massive size, but maybe they really lack symmetry, but they've got great conditioning. And so you could, you could, you know, in that instance say, oh, that person, you know, they, the judges didn't prioritize symmetry for that particular competitor, uh, but it's not like they completely neglected that. They just, they just, you know, in terms of an overall package, like that, that was the winner at the end of the day. So I think, 
I don't know, I feel like the subjectiveness of what we think the judges prioritize swings a little bit more dynamically just based on simply like who they're assessing on that stage. Mm. Um, you know, and, and it may seem as though they're prioritizing one versus the other, but I guess, you know, that, that compared, that competitor ticked the, ticked the, ticked more boxes, right. At the end of the day. Mm. Like if you, I think the 2018 season was a good example. One, because there were so many bodybuilders, but there was also a lot of really different physiques. Like I remember watching back the overall from the Queensland show and there was just so many different people up there. And like, if you think about what, in my opinion, probably like three of the bodybuilders who were vying for the overall, you had like Shane Little, who obviously went on to win it all, which is like Shane, absolutely enormous, shorter guy who's heavy. So obviously he's going to be like the most muscled, but conditioning wasn't out of this world. It was solid and it was acceptable, but not elite level. You've got someone like Nick Brown from one of BK's boys, who's like, insanely peeled insanely huge but is also a taller guy so isn't going to appear as densely muscled as like a shorter guy and then you have like Liam Bygot who is probably like a really good balance of everything but in that instance you know Shane was still able to beat him because he was just so big so the judges were obviously like okay although Liam is probably like a really good mix of everything Shane is still big enough to warrant beating him so it's all going to be like a push and a pull. And that's why it's never a perfect science to decide who wins a show. Mm, absolutely. And then, and then obviously there's posing thrown into that as well. So, mm. you know, all the competitors walk out on that stage. You might lock in on one person as like, wow, they're the most conditioned. Like they look insane. And then they start striking their poses and they're not, they're not actually tensing their quad properly or they're not, you know, tensing through the upper quad and getting a sartorius on, or they're just not firing the hamstrings from their rear shot. And, you know, like some, some things are lacking and that can obviously be, the difference but if you captured that person through walking out and you've gone oh that's the winner surely but there's some real flaws in their posing i mean that could be even be the difference too so it, it might seem as though the person who was most conditioned they prioritize you know size over that but actually there might have been posing that let the person that was more conditioned down so it's just like there's so many different scenarios within that yeah and i feel like the more novice spectators at bodybuilding shows they'll they'll hyper-focus on like the one dramatic body part that someone has. Like I remember going to my first show, I saw this guy in bodybuilding and he had an amazing V taper, like enormous lat, small waist. And I just hyper-focused on that. And I was suddenly surprised that he got fifth place. But then looking back now, didn't have that great a conditioning, like his lower body wasn't overly developed either. So he, he probably would have done better in men's physique. So that's something to um, consider too. But DY, this one's for you coming back around and it says i mean this is your area of expertise surely why are people having cold showers in the morning i don't know i think they've just seen too many goddamn instagram videos of uh all these cold showers i think a lot of it is like mental uh, that's whenever i talk to someone that's um had a cold shower in the morning one it wakes them up and i think two the other thing is it, it's just about doing something hard like it, it's not very like it's not easy to wake up first thing in the morning and then go into like an ice bath or a cold shower. Like if you want to go the easier route, I must say. Um, but it's just about doing something, I guess, somewhat challenging. Let I don't think it has the biggest benefits. Like if those are the only two benefits and if you're considering being like a world-class bodybuilder, like, you know, you got to weigh up, does it weigh out the pros and the cons to what you want to do? But I think it's more or less just for doing something hard in the morning, wake you up, um, definitely does wake you up when you jump in there and especially in these winter months that are coming around. But yeah, I personally haven't done them. I did. I think I did it once and it was like after a hard hot workout at the powerhouse and I lost mass. So, you know, it wasn't worth it for me. The pros and the cons weren't there. Didn't weigh up. Yeah. Having seen some research at uni around like brown fat, because that's one of the reasons why some people do cold exposure is to like activate brown fat more, which is apparently more metabolically active than normal, normal fat and cold showers essentially aren't long enough or arduous enough to actually stimulate brown fat. So you're better off essentially having a longer exposure time through like an ice bath. So I, I would agree that the, the showers in the morning are like purely or almost purely mental there's not too much like physiological benefit you'd get from them purely because in australia the the showers don't get cold enough to really do much it's really just a surface um skin exposure of cold mm, and i think I, I think you're still not opposing like the law of thermodynamics right so 
you know, if, even if it does activate more brown, brown fat cells and increases metabolic rate or whatever it may be, um, like if you're still in a caloric surplus, <laughs> you're not really going to be losing, losing fat mass in the, in the broad spectrum of things. So, yeah, I don't see it as being greatly beneficial for the purpose of like fat loss. Um, yeah, I agree with you, DY. I think it's more of a mental thing. It's like do something hard in the morning, kind of conquer the day. You know, that's, that's almost like the way I see it. Cool. So we'll finish on this one, the goat Easter chocolate. And Lawrence, what is the greatest Easter chocolate of all time? Oh, I, well, as you get older, you know, mum has significantly decreased the volume of Easter chocolates bought because she just goes, well, what's your favorite one? I just want to get you one. Normally, I like the hazelnut Lindor bunny or lint, I think the hazelnut lint bunny. But honorable mention, I do like a Cadbury cream egg. I think they're quite delicious. Mm. We should ask you this question like 20 weeks into dieting and we'll have to segment like an entire it'll, 20 minute duration. Just yeah, it'll be the whole the episode. <laughs> I'll be like breaking down the flavors and the palates and the mouthfeel. I'll be like, yeah, but DY, have you considered this? Did you fit just in one of those chocolate? little Ferrero Rochers, like you know, just just one little bit, like Nutella field. <laughs> oh dear! I'd probably be the same as Lawrence. Like I, I like a lint bunny, but that being said, I also do like a little bit of a Cadbury bunny as well. Like you know, just the Ooh, OG. You can't go wrong with. Just Dude, can't go wrong with a Cadbury bunny. Have you like? Do you guys remember like it's? It'll always be like the the reject shop, like generic eggs where they've got the really tight foil and they just taste like candles <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. taste like they absolute taste garbage like plastic candles yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah i agree that's actually a great way of putting it because that's yeah. exactly how i would describe it it's like take that really cheap advent calendar chocolate mm. <laughs> they're the ones you hide for the easter egg hunt so that yeah that's the one your nan puts out and you're like ah oh, whatever i'll have a couple <laughs> yeah. I've, got use all sugar. One, I've got you all one bunny each all right and then you go, oh what the hell bunny is it and it's just ah oh, shit it's the one from aldi uh, <laughs> uh, what about you jack i uh, i would have to go with lint like i've as you guys can probably guess i'm not i've never really been a chocolate person so i think i can't remember the last time i had easter chocolate i didn't I don't say that to cause drama, but like, it's just, my, my family never really did Easter or anything like that. So. Yeah. He also wants it more than all the listeners. Like, you know, like you guys are <laughs> slacking for the day. He's, he's not having that day off. No bunnies. I'm having cold here. showers every morning. Exactly. There's no cream of, wheat, of the game. cream of wheat Easter eggs. <laughs> I actually woke up um, on the, and I, um, I was having oats in the morning now in the mini cut and I realized I didn't have any chocolate. So I just had to snap off the bunny's ears and make, make way with that worked out just fine cadbury bunny hope arnie didn't see you snapping off those ears <laughs> yeah you would have been looking at me sideways mm. awesome well thanks for listening guys again sorry you guys missed out on the tesla giveaway i think it was a pretty close call in the end and we look forward to catching up with you guys again next week lawrence yes oh, no i was just gonna say and anyone who missed out on the tesla giveaway don't fear because when my new car gets here at the end of the year, we're going to be giving away a 2009 Kia Rio. Um, it's only got 160,000 Ks on it. No serious mechanical damage. So yeah, just keep an eye out for that one. We'll even throw in the lint bunny as well. Yeah, very nice. Without ears. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll wrap this one up, guys. If you enjoyed it, don't hesitate to leave a rating and a review. And we'll catch you guys later. Bye.